we are experiencing a paradigm shift. A fundamental change in the way we usually do things. We are intentionally choosing to see the silver lining. Opportunity arises. We can shine a light on the things that weren't working well, on those things that weren't really working at all. We can regroup, reevaluate, and re-engineer. It's time to explore new patterns and paradigms. Those that inspire us to rise above the chaos and explore how the conditions of today can take us to a better tomorrow. Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast from Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 4, Film Production and Job Creation, with your host, Pattern President and CEO, Jonathan Drapkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Patterns and Paradigms. Today, we will be joined by the actor and director, and so much more, Mary Stuart Masterson for just a great conversation about the film industry and what she's been up to in her ventures in the Hudson Valley. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast, and if you enjoy it, why not share the episode with a friend and ask them to download it wherever they find their favorite shows. This week's Bubble or Trend. In the midst of a pandemic, many people have resorted to grocery delivery, certainly Instacart, and though it probably doesn't apply in the Hudson Valley, Amazon's uh, advertisement that you could have your food delivered within two hours. And then the little print in the commercial is, you know, that you're in a, uh, a larger city. I don't think they're going to be able to do it where I live in Sullivan County. Is it a bubble or is it a trend? When we return to normal, do people want to go back to, as I would say, browsing in the supermarket? Or is it going to be the growth of other kinds of food delivery, like HelloFresh, which gives you the entire meal planned out for you? So is it a bubble or a trend, we ask? But before we get to our guest, let's ask my partner at Pattern, What's up, Joe? Hey, Joe, we just started uh, the beginning of these working groups uh, to address different issues in the uh, Hudson Valley as we begin to see our way past the pandemic. What comes to mind as to some of the issues that you think we need to explore? Well, one thing comes to mind, as it always does, housing. Housing, housing prices have clearly skyrocketed uh, since probably June or July of last year. In every single county, we are seeing median prices go up drastically. In, in Columbia County, it's, it's gone up by $100,000 uh, over, over last year. Um, so it's, it's a huge issue. Uh, it's not just the price going up, but, you know, the, the other big, big concern is the eviction moratorium. You know, it's a, um, it, it's a wonderful tool to keep people protected and in place, but at some point, the rent does come due. And with well, other, go ahead. Yeah, but, but, but I think if we're going to make this work in a way that's beneficial for the future of the Hudson Valley, we have to almost stratify the housing market, that there is a need and there is a demand at the high end that we know that we could go to the middle. You know, we, you and I have always thought that Montgomery and Orange County keeps growing and maybe they're in the middle. And we must pay attention to the need for lower income housing that is a good place to live. Well, that's right. And one thing we ought to make sure of is that the local municipality is ready for the housing. Do they want to grow? We need to ask these questions. Um, what what are their what is their local capacity to grow? Do they have water and sewer? Are they ready for a little bit of an increased traffic pattern? Perhaps you know, with housing changing, so does the the use of the housing change as remote work has picked up over the last year, and people moving into homes are probably going to be looking for office space and exercise and recreation space within the house. So the change is the dynamic of the house. It does. It does. But let's stay with remote work for a second here. You and I both saw a piece on Sunday morning 
which yep. is suggesting that there is a new calculus for where one should want to live. And, and the segment we saw was suggesting that if you were to factor in the issue of climate change and remote work, then all of a sudden what the computer spits out is places like Madison, Wisconsin, or Cleveland, Ohio, or here in New York, Buffalo, and I will argue the Hudson Valley become places that are highly desirable. Yeah, our our North Shore, so to speak, around the Great Lakes becomes the new coast, <laughs> which which is fabulous for those cities. You know, it's it's cold, and and as long as you are um, appropriately clothed, you'll do fine. But the Hudson Valley does um, does stand out as uh, you know the significantly less issue here with climate change. Does it happen? Do we have severe storms? Yes, but as compared to other places with extreme temperatures and wildfires and droughts, and we're, we're in a pretty good spot. Hudson Valley's in a pretty good spot. Right. So that means there, you know, we're going to have to focus a lot of attention on broadband. And this is an issue that involves the remote work. It involves people working from, you know, from home at high incomes. It involves low-income people when they had to switch to virtual learning and they couldn't have access to broadband. Um, I think broadband is is now one of the, if not the most important, broadly speaking, infrastructure items. It, it, it is. And, and broadband, you know, globally speaking, are we served? Yes. But the important part to analyze is that I'm last. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Are, are we are we globally served? I, you were breaking up a little bit there. So I, I okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wait, wait. Oh yeah. So you have to look at what what they consider the last mile, and that's the most important part of broadband. Is how do you get that fiber cable to the last house on the block? And in rural areas, it's a big concern. But without it, we're going to be behind. We're definitely going to fall behind. So we need to look at the issue, get ahead of the issue, and make these changes now. Well, so housing, broadband, um, remote work, uh, uh, work which which let's go one step over in the spectrum of uh, work to workforce. We have got to think about the workforce in the Hudson Valley very differently. For sure. You know, the Hudson Valley has always looked at, you know, tourism and accommodations and entertainment as as a as a big sector. It's a big employer here. Of course, we all know that a vast majority of those jobs don't pay a living wage rate. So with that sort of exposed during COVID, we've got to analyze that and take a look at it and say, what are the other jobs um, that that we can have here in the Hudson Valley, and also how do we? I hate to use this term because it's overused so much, but how do we pivot from someone who's working in tourism or, or the hospitality section into a different type of job that may and hopefully would pay a higher wage rate? Well, and and I would say that with regard to tourism, hospitality, the restaurant industry. They are part of the amenities that make the Hudson Valley a great place to live, work, and play. So we have to figure out uh, maybe a better way to look at it is how do we ensure that there are career paths in those sectors so that people can get to higher paying jobs and enjoy a, a better quality of life because they were among the hardest hit during COVID. And you have to wonder, build back better in those sectors. Well, okay, yes, we want them to come back, but they've got to have a higher wage. They do. And that's why it's really important when, when we're pulling together our economic development officials and our workforce development officials, and we're starting to, to understand how those are so synergistic and how it's so important that they talk to one another as we are pivoting from one industry sector to another and career paths from one to another. Um, But the other, the other important element of workforce to understand COVID or non-COVID is the fact that we're losing a big segment of the population in 
services like water and sewer operators. And I think it's really important that people understand the things that you count on every day of turning on your faucet or flushing your toilet. Somebody at the other end or at the beginning of that end is taking care of that issue. And as those folks are looking to retire, it's institutional knowledge that could go away. And we need to make sure that that stays. And and I think that You've hit upon a really good point, which is as the boomers start to age out, there are retirements among nurses, there are retirements among teachers, there are retirements in every sector. And we need to figure out what we're going to do to uh, backfill and where's the bench strength coming from for a lot of these uh, positions. And so I think um, we're going to return to this issue many times over the course of this year. And as always, Joe, thanks for your insights. And now let me introduce our guest. Thank you, JD. Uh, Mary Stewart Masterson, what a pleasure to have her join us. While many of you know her for her film career, we at Pattern appreciate and know her for her efforts to amplify the film and television industry in the Hudson Valley. Her two ventures, Stockade Works in Kingston, and Upriver Studios in Saugerties, both in Ulster County here in the Hudson Valley, are Mary Stewart's effort to create sustainable jobs in the production side of the film industry. We are pleased that uh, she's gonna be with us for the next 40 minutes to talk not just about what she's working on and how she's trying to uh, assist the economy with better paying jobs here in the Hudson Valley, but in a very creative way, but also the disruption that has occurred to the film industry and what may come next. Mary Stewart, how are you doing? And, and, and how has almost, it's incredible to see, it's almost a year now of living with COVID. <laughs> well, um, fortunately, I haven't personally been living with COVID directly. So I've been very lucky. I feel very lucky that um, none of my family has uh, been sick. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a really intense period of time and I've been, um, you know, trying to count my blessings here. Uh, I have four kids and um, homeschooling them right now and uh, a donkey and a puppy and bunnies. And, you know, it's there's a lot and there's no break. There's no uh, let up. So with all that going on, um, you know, trying to eke out time to also work uh on Stockade Works and Upriver Studios, which, you know, I know we'll talk about in a second. It's been been challenging. It's like, you know, hide in the closet, um, hide in the bathroom, hide in your minivan to like have a Zoom conference call, you know. Um, Yeah, it's, it's been an intense time. And of course, you know, film and television production completely shut down for a while there. And that was, and has been, um, you know, just a, a personal challenge, you know, uh, as a, as a multi-hyphenate person, I, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very challenging, um, for artists and makers, um, who require people to gather <laughs> to, uh, watch them or, um, or even gather to film. So it, it's, um, things are coming back, but it's been challenging. Uh, and, and we'll, I think we'll get into each level of that. Um, so obviously you've had a, you know, a very interesting career as an actress and involved in the film industry, but the reason we wanted to talk to you today is because of your efforts to bring that industry to the Hudson Valley. So let me just start. How did you find us in the first place? Um, (laughs) did you, you didn't grow up in the Hudson Valley. No, I grew up in New York City, uh, the the child of two um, actors and uh, teachers, writers, people of the theater. And um, we did venture out of the city on occasion. But um, uh, and, you know, it's not like I, I hadn't been out of out of even the Westchester area or the immediate surroundings of the city. Um, but it was in 2006 when I. Um, was going to direct my first feature film, uh, which is really what I wanted to focus most on. I um, I looked for locations 
up in the Hudson Valley because it just seemed like a better fit with the material. Um, and I found Catskill, Hudson, um, Hudson, which was really just in its first wave of its own Renaissance um, and uh, bought a house and actually, um, you know, settled down in the Hudson Valley back in 2006 because I had made a film here and it was so uh, obviously cinematically, um, it was so beautiful and, um, and also just varied in its, uh, in its, um, you know, uh, culture and also it, it was culturally rich. It was also rural. It was, it also had, you know, these little cities of Hudson, Poughkeepsie, Kingston, uh, and it sort of had everything. And, and then the river itself. And I grew up, like I said, in, in Manhattan and the place I would go hang out was the Metropolitan Museum of Art <laughs> because it, it you know, uh, my parents were in the theater and I just had to figure out how to occupy myself. So at a certain age, I would go to the Met all the time and wander into the um, American wing, you know, mm -hmm. and there were all those amazing uh, Frederick Church paintings and Thomas Cole paintings. And, you know, living up in the Hudson Valley, I'm looking at that painting every day. And um, so, yeah, I, I really pretty much fell in love with the landscape. Um, back in 2006. And then in 2013, uh, when I had my fourth child within three and a half years, I, uh, mm -hmm. I could not be in the city and up in a country. I just couldn't manage it anymore. I really couldn't afford it anymore. So I, um, I sold both the house that I had purchased in the country and the place in the city and moved to Dutchess County, um, which is sort of in the middle because I had been in Northern Columbia County. So um, yeah, that's when I came here full time. And uh, it is, it has been um, really extraordinary to be able to raise my kids here. And that's in part why, um, why I founded Stockade Works, the nonprofit that's uh, focused on workforce development and training, uh, which focuses and prioritizes access and inclusion and ethnically and racially diverse um, people, if possible. Um, and, and the focus of my life became um, nurturing the place that was going to nurture me and my kids. Um, uh, and I really wanted to uh, grow deeper roots in the Hudson Valley and maybe bring opportunity to the place that was um, giving me so much at this stage in my life. So, um, in 2016, I founded Stockade Works um, in order to really build the crew capacity locally. And by that, I mean, you know, all the people who work on the set, like the 80 to 150 people who get jobs doing bizarre <laughs> things it's to make a movie. That, right. As a movie fan, it, it's the thing that I always look at at the very end that seems to go very quickly. And there's like 100 or 200 names of people. Right. But those are really good jobs. They're great jobs. And, you know, I mean, I guess they're classified as middle skill jobs. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who have transferable skills. Um, maybe they uh, graduate from BOCES and know, um, have an OSHA certification in in, uh, you know, something electrical or, or welding or mechanics or something. And, and they can actually transfer those skills with a stockade works training to be ready to go on set and, uh, work on a movie or a TV show and eventually join the union. That's where the real upside is. And I can tell you right now in getting back to COVID, if I didn't have membership in the unions that I'm in, I wouldn't have health insurance, I wouldn't, I'd be so out of luck. Right. So it's really for, for people who work in our industry, um, it's the way to really have, uh, you know, a real career and be on a career pathway rather than be just gig to gig. And, um, so yeah, so stockade works is there and is designed to identify for people what skills they already have, and then also give them training in the areas that they're interested in. Um, and then provide mentorship after the training and referrals to jobs. 
And meanwhile, you know, also trying to attract those productions to the region so that there are jobs for those people we've trained. And uh, so the whole idea um, in, in Stockade Works and Upriver Studios was to create um, a new media ecosystem for the Hudson Valley, um, building on what was already here, um, you know, a, a robust, independent film um, business, you know, and and the wonderful work at the Woodstock Film Festival, you know, for years, nurturing um, the cinephile and the independent um, filmmakers of the world. And really, my thought was to scale it so that we could create more economic development um, from television shows uh, that might stay longer, employ more people, and really help the economy. Uh, and as, as I started to do more of this, I thought, okay, so an ecosystem needs training and it needs facilities to be scaled and it needs more locally produced content. So all of those things have been the, the sort of three facets of this ecosystem that I've been focusing on. And the first was the training with Stockade Works. The second was Upriver Studios, which is just now opening in Socrates. And the third was just my own production company that I'm finally getting back to the thing that I'm, you know, really, that I really want to be doing creatively, which is writing, directing, producing, and, you know, acting. Um, so that's, uh, you know, the third facet, which is um, uh, Quality Pictures, my production company. So um, Stockade Works is the first one. How'd you get the name? Uh, you know, uh, the Scott, the stockade district in, uh, in Kingston. Kingston. Yeah. And then later I thought, well, the stockade that could have negative connotations, but <laughs> you know, uh, I was just, I was thinking hyper-local and, um, you know, we're going to break, we're going to break free of the shackles of our, uh, limitations that have been imposed upon us and, uh, and break free from the stockade of our own, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it's, that's how we got the name Kingston. All right. But, but then you go, <laughs> you go from Kingston to Sargates and what it was the evolution of stockade works to say the next thing we need is what describe what upriver is. So, um, so stockade works, you know, the training mentoring, um, the not is a not-for-profit upriver studios is a sort of phase two of the, the ecosystem and, and this idea and it is 104,000 square foot um, space that is uh, soundstage, um, offices, post-production suites, and the spaces that support filming of a, of a certain scale. So um, you can film an independent movie out of a minivan and your Aunt Bessie's house. And right, we can do this, this is what we love to do. If you're doing a TV show, and it's going to be there for years. You really need a lot of sets and you need um, to be, you need twice, sometimes three times as much support space, meaning space to store props and wardrobe and space to have a, the next episode's director doing their prep and the last episode's director editing or wrapping out of his episode or her episode. And then you need the current episode team to be working. And then all of this requires that you have, uh, you know, also dressing rooms and hair and makeup suites, all the, all the things that, that, uh, need to be a little, needed a little bit more space than, um, than an independent movie. And so, uh, we, we have a very large facility. Yes, you do. And um, the the reason Socrates, um, I love Socrates. Uh, I just wanted to make sure it was somewhere between Hudson, Kingston, and Poughkeepsie, um, mm -hmm. because um, our friends down in Newburgh have Umbra, and they're doing terrific job down there. But we really wanted to sort of serve this delta of these these cities a little bit further up the river. Hence the name Upriver. <laughs> and um, you know, we're really trying to uh make sure that uh production feels like it has everything it needs. Every time a producer is looking for a place to land a bigger project, the first question they ask is, 
is their crew. And the next question is, are there stages or are there hotels or, you know, the things that they need to put their crew, uh, you know, in the location. In our case, we've built the crew with Stockade Works a little bit more than what it was when we were first here, beginning this this process by by several hundred. And then COVID happened and... um, you know, we were just about to swing hammers at Upriver Studios to begin the upfit of this facility. And they sh- we got shut down. Literally, the Friday before the Monday, we were shut down. And, you know, um, there was there was a collective um, holding our breath for a minute, like, what the heck have we done here? And then, you know, you know, our, our cooler uh, minds prevailed and we realized that actually, um, actually people need more space than ever and they need to be able to spread out more because they need to cycle crew through and on and off of the set more than they used to. It used to be everybody sort of crowd in one room, mm-hmm. jam together and the actors would walk through that and do the scene and walk back through that crowd of people to their dressing room or, or um, trailer, whatever. And now you have to work in different uh, access zones. So it's almost like uh, like a backstage pass, right? The people who have the all access pass are the people who are in close contact with the actors and they're tested more frequently and have certain uh, almost like a, almost like a pod, right? Yeah. And then um, other um, departments, let's say the the people who are going before um, the actors, like the set decorator, and well, usually the set decorator works alongside, but they have to work separately in sequence. Now you have to sort of dress the set. Here's your here's your clock. Here's that picture on the wall, check it with camera, everybody's wearing shields and masks. And then those people leave and have to be well away from the set before the actors come in. And so, uh, so different groups, uh, different departments are allowed on set at different times and need to clear out and go somewhere else. Right. And then those people need to be socially distant from other crew members. So you actually need quite a bit more space to sort of cycle everybody through, mm-hmm. uh, feed them, uh, keep them offset, bring them on set. It, it's, 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 a, I'm rambling, but it, it is, it is requires more space. And um, so it's worked in our favor in essence, because all the sound stages in the city were already uh, at capacity and they're building more right now. Uh, but we knew that there was a demand. We knew that television is having its platinum age. We all know the streamers are killing it. Uh, but also um, content, every studio is um, making content for any platform. So, um, you know, you might think A&E only makes, you know, a show for A&E, but A&E studios could sell to Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, or put it on A&E. So everybody's in the studio business, everybody's in the streaming business now, and everybody is just dying to make content because there's such a demand for it now, more than ever. And because of the shutdown, there's a pent up demand. And so that also was going to work in our favor, we felt, because um, we thought, well, when it opens up and when we finish construction, there is a demand and we will, we will end up having a, a large show come to our stages. All right. So take a breath there for a moment. And, and let's just, let me just be clear. Um, being home, working remotely, it just seems like there is endless things being streamed at the moment. Where did all that come from? If so many places are shut down, is there an inventory of, gee, we're about to release the next series or something? But every time I look at Netflix, yeah, here's another thing that we're about to premiere. Well, in fact, um, yes, yes and no. Um, There was a big pipeline of productions that had been either finished or mostly finished that might have been shut down that maybe just needed to 
to film the last couple of episodes, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so they did a ton of post-production on all the, all the work that was in the can and um, staggered the release of these, these shows. Um, And yeah. And then when it started to come back, when uh, production opened up again, it was largely uh, a lot of shows um, moved to, um, to Eastern Europe. Some people went to New Zealand. A lot of shows went to Canada uh, because they had really good quarantine rules and a very low case numbers. Mm-hmm. And, and it was the, the, the pickle really was how will uh, it, the insurance uh, work? You, you have to have insurance on a production, right? Um, if you're uh, you can't, get a bond or get your production insured if nobody knows who's responsible for for a covid shutdown. Sure. Right? So that was a big that was a big um question for months and uh Netflix you mentioned um Netflix for example self-insured. So they were like they're so big. Okay. Yeah. So they they could continue working um however um however they could. And really, it's I've been really impressed with how the film and television industry has has really made it work because they knew uh, that they had to work with some people without masks because actors had to work without masks. They knew they had to get it right. They couldn't just say, "Okay, everybody, PPE and you know, cover cover yourselves up." That's true for the crew. But what about the actors and how do you make it safe for the actors? So when you have to solve that problem, when everything has to solve for that problem, you you end up solving a whole bunch of other problems. Right. So um, how do you test? Do you rapid test? Do you I mean, what the whole thing? So every show has its own little testing room and uh, a, a testing service. And they have a certain number of tests per week per department more for people who are in that all access pass zone, right? The people who are closest to the actors. As an actor, you might come in and test uh, 48 hours before you even come in for a fitting. Um, and even in a fitting, you're wearing a mask. Um, then you have to test the night before and you do a rapid test the morning of um, before you even go to hair and makeup. So they have ways of you know, and thermal checks also before you even go into your test. So uh, they, they test a ton. The biggest cost to production with all of this really has been all the testing. Um, and the rapid testing is is bringing that cost way down so that they can continue to produce. But yeah, there's going to come a time if if there are more shutdowns where it will slow down. During the beginning of COVID, there was a huge um, uptick in development, um, which is basically people writing, pitching, getting their projects bought, and then, you know, developed uh, through pre-production, getting ready to shoot. And development includes writing, uh, it includes casting, all those things you can do before you actually go into production itself. And so there was a there was a very active development season because it was March and people normally would be doing pilots and that whole uh, that whole breakneck TV um, time of year slowed so far down that people had time on their hands and they were able to really think about um, some of those projects that were at the bottom of the pile that nobody had even read that were terrific. So it was actually many people talked about feeling very like it was a very fertile time with lots of good ideas and interesting material coming to the fore. Um, And so that, that was, that was good. And then things went into production. Some got shut down and came back. I think things are cranking back up and it's um, it it has been very, um, very successful as, as an industry at, working through the pandemic. So like every other sector, there's going to be disruption. And for me, disruption is a, 
it's not disrupting like the production of something. It's a good thing. Disruption yeah. means it causes you to rethink how you were doing something. Yeah. Um, my, I am a huge movie fan. I love going to the movie theater, but it seems as if my movie theaters might be in peril. <laughs> and, you know, with uh, it, what are two recent examples were like Wonder Woman and the new Denzel Washington movie, whereby the agreements for how long it's in the movie theater and before it gets on to, you know, pay-per-view and then HBO or whatever. Um, do you think we're going back to movie theaters the way they were or what? I think, you know what, it's interesting. It's a good question you ask. And I, I think... Prior to COVID, um, box office had dwindled quite a bit, except for those tentpole productions, those those Marvel movies, you know, that you just always want to see the theater, 3D movies or whatever, um, or date night horror movies. That's that's the strangest thing to me anyway, <laughs> but like, whatever. Um, but I think that- um, Why, you've never wanted to do Scream or something? I, I listen, I would, I would do it. I would not watch it. I get so scared. <laughs> I get so absurdly scared at horror movies that I, they haunt, they literally haunt me. I'm too sensitive. Um, but, but my point is that um, I think prior to COVID, there was already um, a real problem at the box office and many- many times films would be released in the theater that weren't those big, huge blockbusters, right? Just to qualify for Academy consideration or awards consideration just would have to just the minimum number of weeks. Now there's an, ex there's an exception for this year. I don't think that will go away. I know that those films will, will come back to upstate films and they will come back to our art house cinemas and those films will be in theaters but I think, regardless, but I think we're going to actually want to go back to the theater. I think we're going to be so hungry for that experience that I, I imagine that it will actually bounce back more than anticipated. That's my guess. But in terms of like your, your, your original question, they will have to be in theaters to qualify. I think there is a, a natural and healthy relationship between the exhibitors and you know, uh, the Academy and those, those entities. So, because it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a whole sector, uh, both theatrical release of films and also theaters like Broadway and, um, and, and dance and everything else. Uh, I, I, I'm very concerned about their health and wellness <laughs> going sure. forward and the need for real economic help. So um, let's pretend that we're eventually have COVID and the pandemic in our rearview mirror and life is back to, you know, just like your flu shot. You just get your shot once a year, but you're not wearing a mask every day. Are there changes to the film industry that either you wanted to see that have now have an opportunity to happen? Or they're just changes that have happened that um, maybe weren't your idea per se, but um, th the way in which movies are made or television shows are made, is it going to change? You know, it's funny because when it first happened, I thought maybe this is finally the time that people will look at the um, insane way that we go about production um, and, and change it slightly. And by that, I mean... Um, the average work day, the average work week on a show shooting in the city, for example, is like, you know, 75, 80 hours. That's, you know, full-time equivalent. That's two <laughs> plus. <laughs> so um, that, that is, that's crazy. And also not that productive. So if you're making art, it's not like, you know, art by the pound, right? It's, it's, it, you need to be rested and, have ultimate proper cognitive function and have all the cylinders burning. And you also can achieve quite a bit more in less shooting time. If you have more time to sleep at night and prepare for your next day, both from the acting standpoint, the directing standpoint, the crew, everything. And so um, there is something called French hours that I'm, I'm a real fan of, which is uh, sort of a straight eight hour day instead of, 
you know, the actors get there at five in the morning, the crew gets there at seven and you shoot till seven. And then the Teamsters go home at nine and, you know, this ridiculous day. It's usually a 20 hour day. And instead it means like within 10 hours you arrive at work and the last person is off the set by within 10 hours and the actors are well rested. You have one meal at the end of the day, not in the middle of the day that people in France, like this, the reason they call it French hours, they would start work for eight hours and have a big meal with the crew with wine and food. And everybody would have this tremendous esprit de corps (laughs) and go home. And it would be a very um, rich experience. Um, That is so not American. (laughs) It's so not like, you know, most productive, but it actually is, you can actually get the same amount of work done. And so I thought, oh, this is going to happen. People were talking about it as a way to optimize people's immune function uh-huh. and um, and that, that, you know, you wouldn't have people touching food all day long on the craft service table or sit at lunch in the middle of the day and eat a huge meal and then get all tired, um, expose themselves to each other um, uh, in terms of like eating too close together and stuff like that. So there was talk of it at first, what it was, what their workaround was instead of French hours, uh, they eliminated lunch so that you would have to give your, uh, you would have a menu and that you would receive in the morning and you, you would have to hand it in by a certain time and your lunch is sort of almost delivered to you wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's more like takeout (laughs) and, um, and that's that's interesting. Um, you know, I think it would be better to work, uh, shorter hours, uh, and less, less waste, more focused time. Uh, I would require that people are more prepared. There are some things that are happening on the set already as a result of having to work in this weird way I mentioned earlier, which is, um, you might have the camera crew, uh, and the the DP, the the cinematographer, and work with the director and really, really carefully design exactly what's going to be in the frame, almost like you would in the olden days, you know, before before uh, digital media. Uh-huh. And you, because you'd have film and is expensive, so you'd only shoot exactly what you need, and you would only build the set for exactly what you were going to see. And it was all very, very, very designed back in the MGM days. You know, Mm -hmm. everything was very designed. And um, we could use a little bit more of that. And I'm not saying I'm against um, verite or uh, working in a way that's that's a little loose and, and improvisational. But having better preparation, especially on television shows, is good for everyone involved. It, it just makes for better work, uh, more decisive work. And, um, you know, I, as an actor, I think, you know, they, they're supposed to be locking the scripts much earlier mm-hmm. before COVID you might get a rewrite while you're in the makeup chair and it's like this long, a huge speech. And you're like, Oh my God, what, how am I going to do this? <laughs> um, so that's good because they have to make sure it's prepared, uh, all departments have signed off on it from COVID safety uh, 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 through that lens, you know, to think of it, is it safe? Is it well planned out? And, and so it does require that people are more prepared and in a way that's, that's very pleasant. Um, There are also fewer people on the set and um, while you're shooting, which is nice, it's less distracted. Um, You know, in terms of, your other question of whether you could work with smaller crews and those kinds of innovations. Some of those things are actually true and are already in use on independent films and non-union films. Um, but in, in fact, you, there might be, um, you need a deeper bench if people are going to get sick and that sort of thing. So you actually need to cover yourself in different ways now with COVID than you used to. Um, Help me understand a couple of economic questions. So first um, I think you said, you know, doing a TV 
you know, show or series. And I've been told, um, though I have no authority on this, that the, you know, if you can get a television show, that's the home run to be produced because it's there year, couple of, hopefully, you know, it gets renewed, but, you know, I think, I think the walking dead is an example in Atlanta. If I have it right, Georgia. Georgia. Okay. So that, you know, it was like a long run and it produced, why are they so important to land one of those? It's obviously much longer in duration than a movie, but what makes it some of the, what makes it different than a movie? Well, um, Mostly it is duration. It's also um, when it's a TV series, you know, people tend to make their home where they're filming. And as you know, um, you know, when you live somewhere, you're, you're paying taxes and your, um, your kids might go to school there. Your whole family is there. You know, it's, it's, it's more than a person jobbing in and sleeping on someone's couch for a couple of months and then going back where they're from. Um, so at, there's something that that just does. Um, you know, there, there's definitely um, studies out on the multiplier effect of um, production and uh, long-term production, like a TV series. Um, I, I think mostly it's duration. TV is the order of 13 or in, in a network show, over 20 episodes of television is, is like, um, you know, 10 movies. Okay. You know, that's like doing 10 movies a year. So it's such a different order of magnitude, um, that it, it, uh, it, it's just hard to even, um, believe. Um, also, um, you know, if you're in a place longer on a TV series, you, you do have to have more sets built, because of weather and because it just for, for ease of filming, if you're going to be at the person's house 10 times in a, in, in an episode, you might as well build the set and control the light and control the weather and come in and out of it uh, as you please um, and own it. Right. The person's house that you shoot when you, they come out on the lawn and pick up the paper in the morning in that scene. Yeah. You shoot that on location, but the whole interior of the house is going to be on a soundstage. Um, the show I was doing last year called for life that is, uh, in New York city, it's a prison show. There's 17 sets. They shoot on location this much, you know, like a, a day. And then the rest of the eight to nine days of an episode are all on the soundstage. Have you thought, is there a dream of a, in your, you know, in your imagination of a TV series that you could do it upriver or somewhere <laughs> in the Hudson Valley. I mean, yeah. I know. Have you thought about what it would be? I have. I have a lot of ideas. You know, I still have to, like everyone else, try to sell my sell my work. Um, and you know, I have a few a few projects that are out there going. We're pitching and and trying to get set up. Um, and but ironically, I'm pretty sure. Um, I will be the last person to work at Upriver <laughs> because <laughs> you know we'll we'll have a show in there and um I doubt um I'll get the call to be in it. So I'll just I'll just be grateful that that there is a show in town and <laughs> um yeah and and then I've written a feature um that needs a sound stage so maybe maybe they'll let us shoot there between uh <laughs> between seasons of of someone else's show. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it would be, it would be great if I could do that. That would be really fun. Um, all right. Well, let me, when I last saw you, it was just before COVID and you made this passing remark to me in which you said it would be great if we could get a a little snip of people who have filmed in other places outside of the Hudson Valley. And they could just say, I wish I could be filming in the yeah. Hudson Valley. Yeah. I think I, I think I got that right. Yeah. And and I so can, is that, that a project? That? <laughs> is that a project we could do as a fitting way to come out of COVID? Yeah. And yeah. then 
you know, as a marketing piece to try to, and what oh, would it yeah. look like? And, you know, cause I, I, it may have just been an off the cuff remark, but no, it no, no, it's definitely something that's in the works. Um, this idea that, um, you know, people in, in various locations filming who actually live in the Hudson Valley would say that, you know, they'd rather be shooting that they'd rather be filming in the Hudson Valley. Um, but we actually have other, other plans with the with hashtags and this and that, that we're planning to sort of launch, uh, soon. And, um, I'm not at liberty to share because it's everything's a group think, um, situation, but, um, but I, 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 yes, I think you're absolutely right. Um, definitely need to promote it as a region. Um, but I, I, I think it's doing pretty well. Like the Hudson Valley is like the hottest real estate market in the country. People um, coming up here from New I York know. City. Yeah. And so there's a lot of crew who actually relocated up here because they weren't working in the city. Oh, you mean specifically within the film industry yeah. among this, this um, group among of this people way. migrate? Yes. Yeah. And, and so people reach out and say, Oh my gosh, I heard you're doing this thing. Do you think there's any way? I'm like, yeah, there is going to be a way. So um, soon we're, we're negotiating right now with a big show and we're hoping that uh, at, at Upriver and we're hoping that it goes forward. And if it does, that would be, you know, uh, they would be moving in, in, in March and uh, shooting in the spring and summer and through the winter. And so that would be, that would be, fantastic if that happens (laughs) well all right mary stewart masterson thank you so much for for finding your way to the you know the hudson valley for stockade works for your um, vision for upriver um and let's hope that you can realize all these dreams uh, (laughs) as soon as possible so thanks for being thank you so much what a pleasure to talk to you Thank you for tuning in to Patterns and Paradigms, the Pattern Podcast. For more information about this episode, visit our website, patternforprogress.org forward slash podcast.